praise God for the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Over the last couple of Sundays leading up to Easter, we've been looking at some signs of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12, we saw an event where Jesus healed a demon-possessed man who was also blind and mute because of that demon possession. Jesus healed the man, and then in unbelief and really blasphemy, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, had the audacity to charge Jesus with casting out demons in the power of Satan himself. And then in a skeptical move of unbelief, the Pharisees demanded that Jesus show them a sign. They said, show us a sign that you are the Christ, that you are who you say you are. And Jesus responded in Matthew chapter 12 and said, only a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. So no sign is going to be given to it except for the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so also the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so Jesus says, I'm not going to give you a sign. The only sign that you will have is the sign of Jonah, which was a, a typological sign, wasn't it? It was, a, it was a sign in which Jesus drew some connections between his life, his ministry, and the ministry of a former prophet of God. That former prophet, Jonah, he went and preached a message of repentance, but only because... At first, he wanted to run away. He didn't want to originally go preach that message of repentance. He didn't want to see the Ninevites repent and be rescued from God's wrath. But God got a hold of him, didn't he? God got a hold of him, brought him back, and Jonah went and preached that message of repentance, and the people of Nineveh listened. And Jesus used that as a charge as a rebuke to the Pharisees and religious leaders of his day. And he said, the men of Nineveh will rise up and judge this generation because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, but one greater than Jonah is here. And that's one of the ways that a biblical type works. A biblical type is where you can see connections similarities between previous events, previous people, uh, previous institutions in, in the Old Testament, in the life of God's people. And those patterns, those similarities match up with the ministry and the life of Jesus and where he fulfills those patterns. But always with a biblical type, whatever you see in the original uh, example is always fulfilled by Christ in a much more perfect and higher way. So whereas Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, he was metaphorically, symbolically raised to life again, but Jesus was truly raised to life again. So he was like that, but his fulfillment was so much higher and greater than the example that we see in Jonah. We saw another type in John chapter 2, in a similar context of unbelief and skepticism, 
when Jesus came into the temple courtyards and he found uh, animals being sold. And there were sheep and oxen everywhere. And, and there were people exchanging denominations of money. It was the Passover season. And so there were crowds everywhere. And the place that was designed to be the place of God, the home of God, where God's presence would dwell and where God's people would, would come and worship him and pray. Instead, it was turned into a marketplace. And Jesus, full of holy indignation, came in and, and he drove them all out. He made a whip of cords and drove the animals out. He overturned the, the tables with all the coins and scattered them everywhere. And in a very uh, understandable move, the Pharisees said, who do you think you are? What gives you the authority, the right to do this, to come into God's temple and to demonstrate this kind of authority? And Jesus says, I'm not going to give you a sign. They wanted one. Give us a sign. What sign will you give us to demonstrate that you have this kind of authority? And Jesus says, I'm not going to give you a sign. The only sign you'll get is tear down this temple, and in three days I will build it again. Of course, they completely didn't understand what Jesus was saying. They thought that he was talking about the building, these, these stones built on top of each other. And, but he wasn't talking about that at all. He was using that as a type, as a symbol of who he is. And there are several comparisons between the temple and the life and ministry of Jesus, aren't there? The temple was the centerpiece of Israelite life and worship. Jesus, for the church, is now the centerpiece of life and worship. The, the temple was the place where God's presence was found. God's holy presence came to dwell in that holy of holies inside the temple. But now we have Jesus, who is God in the flesh, dwelling among us. In the temple was where the blood was sprinkled and where reconciliation was made between a sinful people and a holy God. We have Jesus Christ, our great high priest, and the spotless Lamb of God who offered his own life and his own blood so that God's people might relate to him. Jesus is like the temple, but he is better than the temple. He is higher than the temple. He is a fulfillment of it and a higher fulfillment of it. What I want to do this morning on this Easter Sunday is I want to look to the sign of Lazarus. The sign of Lazarus in John chapter 11. Now, in the other two passages that I mentioned, they specifically say, give us a sign. And Jesus says, I'm not going to give you a sign except this, either the sign of Jonah or the sign of the temple. In John chapter 11, in that chapter, it does not specifically say anything about a sign or a demand for a sign. But in John chapter 12, in verse number 18, we see where it says that the crowd that was with Jesus when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. And many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign went out to meet him. So the raising of Lazarus was a sign. In what way was it a sign? It was a pointer. It was an indicator. It was a, a marker of something that was greater to come. And what I would like for us to do is I would like us to read from this story of the raising of Lazarus from John chapter 11. 
And then I would like to draw some connections, some parallels, some types, if you will, between the raising of Lazarus and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to begin reading in John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters went, sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, A short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps... He will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? 
Jesus once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the privilege of worshiping you on this resurrection day. When we can celebrate the fact that our Savior, Jesus, lives. Father, as we reflect on this story of the death and the raising of Lazarus, help us to see the power, the glory, the majesty of your Son, Jesus. Help us to see and to believe that he is indeed the resurrection and the life. And that by believing in his name, we too may live. Father, bless this time. In the name of Christ, amen. As you compare this event with what we read about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I think we see some patterns, some, some similarities that I think point us to something greater to come. For example, in this story, Lazarus did not deserve the suffering that he endured. At least there's no mention of it, right? In this story, there is no mention of the cause of Lazarus's sickness. Nothing that he did wrong, nothing that was a punishment by God. It says nothing of the sort. But he was enduring sickness. He was enduring hardship in this world. In that time, people believed that if you were going through difficulties, something bad was happening to you, then it must be proof that God's hand of chasing was on you. We can see that mindset in the Gospel of John chapter 9 when Jesus and his disciples come along and find a man who was blind and had been blind ever since he was born. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus responded, neither this man nor his parents, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So in that blind man's life, many people thought this man must have done something wrong or his parents, somebody did something wrong. And that's why he is going through this, this great trial, this tragedy. And Jesus said, no, this has happened for a purpose so that the works of God might be known. Another way of saying that is, this has happened so that God might be glorified. You read the case of Lazarus, and what does Jesus say? He says, this has happened so that you will see the glory of God. 
In fact, he says, I'm glad that I wasn't there when Lazarus was sick and that he passed away so that you could see the glory of God. So Lazarus endured a suffering that in one sense he didn't deserve. Now, obviously, Lazarus was a sinner, right? And, and like all sinners, we go through the difficulties and the trials of this life that the curse on sin brings. But that's how a type works because Lazarus is not mentioned as being a sinner. This, this sickness and this death is not the result of anything that he specifically did, but that's where Jesus is higher, right? That's where Jesus is greater. So there's no mention of Lazarus's sin or any evil that he did here, but we know that he was a sinner. But in the case of Jesus, there's no mention of any sin or wrongdoing on the case of Jesus because he was not a sinner. He was the perfect son of God. And so Lazarus endured a suffering that he really, on one sense, didn't deserve. Jesus endured a suffering that he did not deserve, didn't he? He who knew no sin became sin took our sin upon himself so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Even though there was no deceit, no guilt, nothing found in him, he still went to the lamb as a slaughter. And he was silent. I think another comparison is that Lazarus endured an intensified suffering in fulfillment of the purposes of God. Lazarus was sick, but Jesus could have gone and healed him. Lazarus' suffering, in a sense, became intensified, and so that God's purposes through him and in him might be fulfilled. Again, on a much higher level, on a perfect level of fulfillment, Jesus endured intense suffering, didn't he? He endured not only the pain of death, but he also endured the cup of the wrath of God that we deserved. And in so doing, in enduring that intensified suffering, he accomplished the purposes of God. He glorified God. Jesus says in John chapter 12, Father, now is the hour. Glorify thy name. Through the suffering and the resurrection of Christ, God was glorified. He endured intense suffering in the accomplishment of the purposes of God. Lazarus died, and he was prepared for burial, and he was put in a cave-like tomb with a stone rolled in front. It's very similar, isn't it? In that Lazarus was put in the grave, he was prepared for burial, he was wrapped in linen cloths with burial clothes, he was laid in this cave-like tomb, a stone was put in front. Much like Jesus, except Jesus on a higher level. Lazarus was buried for several days, wasn't he? In fact, Jesus intentionally delayed his coming... And by the time he got there, Lazarus had not only died, he had been prepared for burial, put in the grave, and he had been there four days. 
And the significance of that in the event is that there can be no doubt, no question that Lazarus was truly dead. Jesus didn't just help a man who was unconscious get up. He raised a dead man back to life again. In a similar way, Jesus was prepared for burial, taken down from the cross, prepared for burial, put in a tomb, stone rolled in front, and he was there for several days. But on the third day, he rose again. Like Lazarus, Jesus' death and burial were temporary, weren't they? They were temporary. Lazarus went into that tomb as if it was going to be permanent. They prepared his body. They, they did everything you would normally do for someone who had died and was going to stay dead. But it was temporary. They did the same thing for Jesus. They prepared him for burial. They put him in a tomb. They put a stone in front as if that was how he was going to stay. But it was temporary. And he rose from the dead. Lazarus came to life again and came out of his burial clothes. Jesus calls out to him, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes out, walking, maybe hopping, I don't know, all tied up, bound in burial cloths. And Jesus says, take off those burial cloths, take off the linen from his head, and let him go. Jesus left his burial clothes behind, didn't he, in the tomb. And just as Lazarus was loosed from his grave clothes, Jesus was loosed from his grave clothes. Lazarus' resurrection glorified Christ, God the Son, and God the Father. He said, this has happened so that you may see the glory of God. And obviously in a much higher way, on a higher level of fulfillment, Jesus' death glorified God, didn't it? Lazarus' resurrection was a sign that resulted in many people putting their faith in Jesus. Lazarus' resurrection was a sign resulting in many people putting their faith in Jesus. We saw it in verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. They believed. They saw the sign. Many, many people believed in Jesus after he rose from the dead. It was a sign of his power, of his majesty. It resulted in the faith of many people. Lazarus' death and resurrection happened toward the end of Jesus' public ministry, providing a foretaste of what was about to come. It's interesting, isn't it, in the flow of John's gospel that this miracle comes in John chapter 11. And the very next thing that we read about in John chapter 12 is the final week of Jesus. So in John's writing of the flow of the events, this raising of Lazarus is a foretaste of what is about to come in Jesus' final week in his death. And resurrection. Up to this point in time, Lazarus' death was the most climactic and powerful sign in demonstration of the identity and authority of Jesus Christ. 
And he had done other miracles. He had healed blind people. They even mentioned it here. He healed the blind. He healed the blind man. He healed lame people. He healed the deaf. He cast out demons. In other events, Jesus did cause other people to rise from the dead. But often in those cases, he was there right after the event. Before the person had been buried. In this case, here was a man who had been buried, wrapped in clothes, and placed in a tomb for four days. And Jesus shows up and says, get up. And he gets up. This is the most climactic and powerful display of Jesus' authority to this point. But it was about to be surpassed, wasn't it? It was about to be surpassed because it's one thing, uh, incredibly as it is, For someone to bring someone back from the dead, that is unbelievable in itself. But how unbelievable for someone to cause themselves to rise from the dead. Jesus says, I have received from the Father the power to lay down my life and the power to take it up again. Jesus caused Lazarus to rise from the dead. That's an incredible display of of power and authority but he was about to surpass it by him himself rising from the dead and conquering death and the grave. One other comparison that I see, and this is where I want to bring our time to a a time of focus and response, is a miraculous sign is not enough to melt the hardened heart of unbelief. A miraculous sign is not enough to melt the hardened heart of unbelief. Remember the context that I mentioned at the beginning of the message where uh, Jesus had healed uh, a man possessed of a demon and there were people there who were skeptical. They didn't believe. Even though they had seen that sign, they still did not believe. And they wanted another sign. But Jesus says, you're not getting one. All you have is Jonah. He, he goes in and he, he casts out all these money changers in the temple. They ask for another sign. Give us a sign. Show us who you are. You're not getting one other than the temple. Both of them in, in times of skepticism, of unbelief. Now, this, the greatest of signs that Jesus had ever given up to this point before his own death and resurrection... And notice there were some who believed, but then in verse 46, you see the response of the Pharisees. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. And they said, what are we accomplishing? They asked, here is this man performing many signs. (laughs) They acknowledge he's performing signs, right? These same people who said, give us a sign. He's giving them signs. He doesn't give them when they want them, but they've had plenty of signs. Here's this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Greatest demonstration of the power of God that could be imagined up to that point. And they were still in unbelief. A miraculous sign is not enough to melt the hardened heart of unbelief. A miracle of regeneration of the heart by the Spirit of God is required to bring about faith, isn't it? 
A miracle of regeneration of the Spirit of God coming into the heart of a person and awakening faith in that person. That is required for them to believe in the risen Christ. Just like there were people who doubted in Jesus after Lazarus was up from the dead, there are still many people in his day and even today who doubt Jesus after he himself rose from the dead. I believe that the resurrection of Christ is the greatest demonstration of the power of God in the world. It is the greatest demonstration of the power of God in the world. It is the greatest demonstration of the power of God recorded in Scripture. It is the greatest testimony and attestation to the authenticity and the authority of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. It is the greatest sign. And yet there are many, many who still do not believe. And so Jesus turns to Martha and he says to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Not, Jesus didn't say, I can do resurrections. Which he could, but that's not what he said. He didn't say, I can make resurrections happen. He said, I am the resurrection. All resurrection, all life flows from me, is what he's saying there. Martha says, Lord, I know that my brother will rise again at the last day. Thinking of the the final judgment, the final resurrection. Jesus says, well, that may be true, but you're missing what I'm trying to show you right now, right here today. I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me will live even if he dies. And so my question to you is this. Do you believe in the one, not only who raised Lazarus from the dead, but do you believe in the one who rose from the dead? Do you believe in the one who laid down his life on a Roman cross shed his blood as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, was buried and put in a tomb, and on the third day rose again in demonstration of the power of God. Do you believe him? Do you believe in him? Have you put your faith in that man, that God-man, Jesus Christ? It is my prayer that you have. The raising of Lazarus is an incredible sign. It is a foretaste, a pointer to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And both of these resurrections, while similar, there are some differences, aren't there? Lazarus rose again, but he also died again. Jesus rose again, never to die again. Jesus lives forevermore. Jesus was the first fruits of a new kind of resurrection. A new kind of resurrection in which you never die again, in which you receive an immortal, incorruptible body, never to be taken away. So Jesus' resurrection was like Lazarus's, but again, it was higher, wasn't it? It was better. It was more. Like Jesus said, one greater than Jonah is here. We might could also say one greater than Lazarus is here. One greater than Lazarus, one greater than his resurrection is here. Do you believe in him? Let's bow in prayer.
our Father, our God. We give you praise for your divine Son, the eternal Word, who became flesh, came down to live among us as a servant, and to give his life in humble service to us. He lived a life of work and service and compassion, of teaching, of granting miracles to many people. And then in fulfillment of your purposes and in demonstration of your glory, he laid down his life to the death of the cross in fulfillment of your plan of redemption and accomplished for us salvation. His sacrifice was acceptable. His sacrifice was received. And in confirmation of his victory, of his atoning, perfect sacrifice, he rose again, demonstrating that he is, in fact, the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Messiah. Our Father, open up our eyes to see and to believe the risen Christ today. We thank you that we have a living Savior, a living hope. And we pray this in his name. Amen.